I'd like just to make one uh, uh, mention that uh, the uh, the group from uh, Memphis will be staying in our facilities the whole week and just traveling down to Fort Oglethorpe on Thursday and Friday and uh, we need to provide uh, facilities for them Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night and then Fort Oglethorpe will take care of it. But it's very important that we're able to do that and uh, uh, please let me know if uh, if you're able to do that. It's going to take half a night for all of them to shower at my house. And so uh, if we could get some uh, assistance with that, we'd appreciate it. If you would, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Uh, as we notice through the life of our Lord, and we talked, uh, I believe it was uh, Wednesday night maybe, uh, about Christ cleansing the temple and... and uh, what exactly went on in there and, and the reasons he did what he did. But that account of his doing that is sandwiched in between some other things that happened. And as we look at the flow of his life and the things that he taught, we see that it all fits together very well. And uh, beginning in chapter 11, he was coming nigh to Jerusalem and uh, he went in and he was making preparation for uh, his entrance and, and he sent his... Uh, disciples to uh, go secure a colt and a donkey for him, and they did that. And he entered into the into the into Jerusalem. We know as the triumphal entry. But verse eleven is very interesting. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. Now. Christ, being God, didn't need to look at a scenario and then contemplate about it and to determine what He was going to do. Being God, He understood exactly what He was going to do before He ever did it in this world. The plan was eternal. He knew how things would unfold and how He would address each instance. But prior to or or after coming into the temple, and what we want to talk about tonight for just a few moments, is the cursing of the fig tree, but how it is sandwiched around the cleansing of the temple. He went into Jerusalem that night, and he went into the temple, and he saw all that was going on. Now, the people in the temple knew of Christ. The people knew of uh, of Jesus. They knew what He was able to do. They knew of His teaching. And He went in and He presented Himself in that temple and they would have known He was there. So when Christ went the next day to enact judgment upon these people, we see that He had given them, in essence, an opportunity to stop doing what they were doing by presenting Himself at the temple. Now, on the following morning, beginning with verse 12 of Mark 11, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree after, uh, seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. As was his way, he was about to teach an object lesson. He was about to make a point through action. And he made two actions that would make the same point or would work toward the same point. He cursed this fig tree because he went to the tree. It had leaves on it and it didn't have any figs. And so he said, he cursed it and no one will ever eat figs from you again. 
And now we need to understand that this type of a fig tree that is growing even today over in that part of the world, it puts on leaves and it has a green fruit on it before the actual figs come in. So when it puts on leaves, it is advertising itself to have fruit. That's a very important understanding of this because that's going to lend itself to exactly what happened. So he saw that it didn't have fruit, he cursed it. And then he went into the temple and we talked about the cleansing of the temple. He saw some things in that temple that presented themselves as if the occupants were people of God. And they were not. And so he cleansed the temple. And then, beginning in verse 20, after he had left the city from cleansing the temple, and in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto him, Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shalt no doubt, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, it shall have what it shall, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive if you ought against any, if you have ought against any, that your Father also might, uh, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Now, this all fits together perfectly. He sees the fig tree presenting itself as having fruit. It's a hypocrite. That's very simply what he's getting at. He goes into the temple. He, the temple is full of hypocrites. So we understand that aspect of the hypocriticalness that God hates so much. And then coming down off of, uh, uh, out of the temple, the next morning seeing this tree all withered up and the punishment that comes with being a hypocrite, ultimately, he begins to talk about prayer and, and things of that nature. And how exactly does that fit in? Well, it fits in. It's absolutely a part of this. If you have faith, he says, that, that says for that mountain to move, it'll move. He's talking about a miraculous faith here. The faith that the apostles had, the faith that the prophets had. When uh, Elijah called fire down from heaven, he had to have a miraculous faith, understanding and knowing that when he called fire down on that sacrifice, it would happen. When uh, Paul brought Eustace from... Uh, uh, the dead after he had fallen out of the window, that was a miraculous faith understanding that when he reached his hand forward and, and pronounced that young man to come back to, to his body, his spirit, that that's exactly what would happen. That's a miraculous faith. Now we have to understand, that doesn't happen today. That went away when the Bible came in its uh, completed form, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But that's what the Lord is talking about and He is giving an object lesson to these men who are about to receive the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem and about to embark on establishing the church to the world. So he's telling them, make sure your faith is strong and don't doubt in your hearts that what you're about to do and what you're about to accomplish will exactly happen. And when you ask for it, it will happen. But he goes on to say in verse 25, And when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven Forgive your trespasses. Well, not only are we to uh, pray in faith according to, the, to God's will, and we do that even in today's 
time, 1 John 3, 22, 1 John 5, 14, we have to have that uh, believing faith, though it's not a miraculous one. But now he's going to talk about a, 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 a hypocrisy that can touch almost all people. We cannot present ourselves as having fruit and being Christians without the ability to forgive others. It is hypocritical of someone to ask God to forgive him or her when we refuse to forgive those who trespass against us. And that's the point that Jesus is making. He's making several points. He's talking about the hypocrisy in the, in the temple, the religious hypocrisy of those who claim to be teachers of God's Word and yet they're turning his house into a den of thieves. And then he, he begins to talk about the faith that the apostles must have as they go out. If they have a wavering faith, then that becomes hypocrisy claiming to be an apostle of God, yet not sure if what you ask in confirming the word would happen. Of course, I believe the Lord is using hyperbole when He speaks of moving a mountain, but if that's what it took to confirm the word, then that's what would have happened. Because that's how the apostles and the other preachers and teachers during the miraculous age, that's how they confirmed their word. And so they had to have that faith that when they went to confirm the word, that would happen. So he talks about that aspect of not being hypocritical. And then we might say he talks just simply kind of to the common person. Don't be a hypocrite in our forgiveness because we'll be like the fig tree. And we want forgiveness and we don't want to have the condemnation of the fig tree being destroyed. And that's what he's talking about. And so when we look at the way the Lord teaches, it was just mastery of his ability to be able to make a point and get a point across to those who were listening and his knowledge of people and their nature and and the things of which they would think. and He is absolutely unbelievable and remarkable when we begin to study his life and we see the things that he did and the circumstances in which he found himself and the answers that he gave or the non-answers that he gave. He is absolutely amazing to behold. And all of that, so that we might have a home in heaven. We talked about hope this morning. And we have that hope that that Christ will lead us to the promised land when He returns to gather us up, John 14. And, And that hope comes from having this faith that we believe what we say we believe and that we live in accordance with that. If you've never obeyed the gospel, Christ says for us to believe and repent Confess His name, uh, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins so that we might be saved and then to live a faithful life and endure to the end. He also says if, if we along the way we, we leave the Father, we can return again through the proper measures as in the parable of the prodigal son. Of course, those who have obeyed the gospel and become unfaithful, they repent of the sin in their life, they confess that sin, whether publicly or privately, and then... God will forgive them if they ask. And that's what we see in the prodigal son. That son coming back and the father welcoming him with open arms. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this evening, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.